Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, There's a note here. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20, but we're going to read those verses now. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Today we've come to the end of the Gospel of Mark and um, you may not know this but there's actually a fair bit of confusion over where does the Gospel of Mark actually end and you might be thinking to yourself, hang on, don't be daft Michael, the Gospel of Mark ends with my Bible ends. Yeah, but where does your Bible end with the Gospel of Mark? You see, some of the older English translations like the King James Version go through to chapter 16, verse 20. Uh, But some of the other newer English translations end at verse 8. 
And then they have a bit of a footnote. Did you notice on the reading there? This is, I had that bit of writing there which said um, some of the earliest manuscripts don't contain these following verses. Um, so a lot of the newer versions finish at verse 8, but then they have a footnote containing the other 12 verses um, or they have it in brackets at the end. I actually have seen one version that actually gives three different possible endings and you get to choose which one you want to read. Now, that's all a bit confusing, and, but, but why do our translations vary? And I know that some people get all up in arms about how dare somebody change what's written in the Bible, and some people are really militant in their view that the only true version that anybody should ever read is the King James Version of 1611. Now, I want to say quite bluntly that that's not only a nonsense... It's arrogance. Who are we English speakers that we should believe that the only true Bible is an English version and one that was written in the early 17th century at the behest of a particular king when the New Testament documents were originally written in ancient Greek? Right? So what we need to remember is we've got translations of translations of translations. So like Jesus would have been speaking in Aramaic and yet when the New Testament, when the New Testament documents were first written, they were all handwritten for a start and they are written in Greek and then we translate them into our various languages. So why do our Bibles vary? Well, the reason most modern translations finish the Gospel of Mark at verse 8 and then they put the remainder of it in brackets or have it as a footnote, is because the oldest and the most reliable of the original Greek transcripts all end at verse 8. It seems that at some point in history, a separate record or a, or a, or a summary record of what happened after the resurrection may have been collated together with a copy of Mark's Gospel. And so then when the next person made a copy of Mark's Gospel, see, we've got to remember, to get a copy of the Bible back then, you couldn't just go to Krong and buy it. You had to either write it all out or pay someone to write it out for you. Um, and so if somebody had collated this additional information at the end of Mark's Gospel, when the next person came along, they would have just copied that in as well. And from that point on, it would have just been assumed to be accepted as part of the Gospel of Mark. So where does that leave us today? When we're studying the Scriptures, where does the Gospel of Mark end? And if it does end at verse 8, what do we do with those other 12 verses? Are they Scripture? Should we read them? Should we believe them? And I'm not going to give you a directive on that because I'm not God, right? I can't tell you what you have to do. But what I can do is I'm going to tell you how I see it and I'm going to explain how we're going to approach it for, for our study today. Right. so firstly, I think I need to say I agree that the evidence is pretty overwhelming that it wasn't part of the original Gospel of Mark. And so as we study this gospel, the first thing I want to do is to see how Mark's gospel ends and to see what Mark is trying to communicate to us 
in the way that he ended his gospel. But having said that, I'm also going to impress and make it really clear that even though verses 9 to 20 may not have been originally in Mark's gospel, I do consider them to be scripture. All right? Um, Verses 9 to 20 continue to be testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The early church recognised them as valid. There isn't any terrible heresy amongst them. Um, It's basically a summary of other parts of the New Testament. And so, so while they may not have been originally written by Mark, they are entirely consistent with what we know about the resurrected Jesus. And it's entirely consistent with the early church's experience of the resurrected Jesus's presence with them. And I believe that the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us through these verses today. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me through those verses in the past. And I bet he's spoken to some of you through them as well. So we're going to look at it from both angles. We're going to look at the impact of the resurrection for Mark. And we're going to look at the impact of the resurrection for the early church. Right? So... First of all, let's look at it from the perspective of Mark. Now, some people describe the Gospel of Mark as a passion narrative with a bit of an introduction. What that means is the passion of Christ, that, that's the name given to the section where Jesus is arrested, he's put on trial, he's beaten and crucified. Right? So that's the passion. So it's like a passion story with a bit of introduction. It spends a lot of time building up to the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what it seems to concentrate on. Then after that, it pretty much just ends. Now, for me, the highlight in every other gospel is the resurrection. It's like Jesus has come back to life again. We've got all this excitement of this empty tomb and Jesus appearing to everyone and, and, and... I just love it. I love it. But the ending of Mark and the way that he describes the resurrection, it's so very different. It, it just finishes. All right, so, so let's set the scene. As soon as the Sabbath was passed, all right, so the Sabbath day, it actually began at sunset on Friday and it went through until sunset on Saturday. So as soon as the sun went down on Saturday night, that was the first opportunity that the three women had to go so that they could go and buy their spices. Um, Now, so these three women, there's Mary Magdalene, Mary, Jesus' mum, although in Mark she's described as the mother of James. Well, James was Jesus' brother. And Salome, or Salome, depending on how we pronounce it. And these three women go and they buy their embalming spices ready for the morning. And then early on the first day of the week, so early Sunday morning, just after the sun came up, they made their way to the tomb. And, and on their way, it, it appears that they must have been taking a bit of a stock take. Okay, we've got, we've got the spices, we've got, we've got the herbs, we've got the strips of linen, and we've got... Oh, oh no, 
We didn't think about that stone. How how are we going to shift the stone? It's heavy. But of course, when they got there, that, that had all been sorted. The stone had been rolled away. And when they went into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, I know about you, but for me, I sort of think, you know, going to the cemetery pretty much at sunrise, um, it's probably all a bit spooky at the best of times. Um, Isn't it any wonder that, that when the stone was rolled away, Jesus was gone and there was a young man there all dressed in white? Isn't it any wonder that they were alarmed? But the young man said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Right, so let's assume that this young man, all dressed in white, is an angel. And I think that's a pretty fair assumption. That's the way they're often described. And given that an angel is a messenger from God, what are the key points that God is wanting to communicate to us at this point. Well, first and most important is don't be afraid. But why are you not afraid? Because Jesus is alive. Ladies, you're in the right place. Look, look at that spot there. That's where he was laid. He's not here anymore. He was crucified, but now he's risen. Jesus lives. That is the first and most important message that they were getting given. Secondly, they were told to be witnesses to his resurrection. Tell, start by telling his disciples. Thirdly, it was all part of God's plan. Before Jesus was crucified, back in Mark chapter 14, Jesus had said to them, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so the angel is saying, look, just stick to the plan. We've been sticking to the plan. God has stuck to the plan. Yeah, Jesus died, but hey, that was part of the plan. Jesus told you that after he was raised, he would meet you in Galilee. Make sure you go there. Stick to the plan. And that's where he'll meet you. Fourthly, I learned from this that our God is a God who forgives and restores. The the angel especially singles out Peter. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Now, I don't think that he's singling out Peter because Peter was a particularly great leader or because Peter was the strongest or the fittest or the smartest. I think he's singling out Peter because he was the weakest. As far as being a loyal disciple of Jesus goes, Peter had been an abject failure. Peter had promised Jesus all of his loyalty, but he completely denied Jesus three times. Three times in the one night. I do not even know the man. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt after that? He must have felt such a failure, hopeless, 
worthless. He promised Jesus so much loyalty and he gave him nothing. Peter, he didn't have any right at all to front up to Galilee. He didn't have any right at all to call himself a disciple anymore. But the angel made sure that Peter knew that he was invited to the resurrection party too. Because our God is a God who forgives when we fail. And I'm so glad about that because I fail him often. I don't deserve to be a disciple of Jesus. But he forgives me. And I know there's times when you will feel, I don't deserve to be a disciple of Jesus. Here I am, I'm supposed to be a Christian and, and I've, I've gone and I've done that. Well, Jesus wants to welcome us with open arms again. And he heals and he restores us. So that's what I get out of that angel's message. Jesus lives, be witnesses, tell. It was all part of God's plan. And God is giving those who failed him another chance. Now that was the message. So what did the women do with that message? Well, the, the closing words of the oldest and most reliable manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark end like this. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's where the gospel ends in those transcripts. What an anti-climax. It's what a disappointment. I mean, throughout the whole gospel, it's been about discovering who Jesus is. And we finally come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God. But then almost immediately after that, he gets executed. But then Jesus rises from the dead again. Yahoo! He's alive. And, and, and an angel tells the three women, be witnesses, go and tell everyone what you've seen. And they're afraid. And they said nothing to anyone. What a letdown. What an anticlimax. You'd think, you'd think that they'd be bursting at the seams with joy. You'd think that they wouldn't be able to contain it. You'd think they'd just have to tell everyone about it. They said nothing to anyone because they're afraid. So God has done this amazing, life-giving resurrection work and the message is put into the hands of humans and they say nothing and yet in all of the other gospels and even in the end of this gospel the women didn't remain silent from Mark's perspective they said nothing but in Matthew's gospel they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples in Luke's gospel, they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. But of course, when they told them, they didn't believe them. They thought they'd just making up stories. And so Peter goes to check it out. In John's gospel, 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. See, all of the other Gospels agree with each other that they did tell the disciples about the resurrection. But in Mark's Gospel, they remained silent. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't seem right. Is it any wonder that the early church included that additional testimony of the resurrection to go along with it? Now, this is what I want to bring out of this. It just doesn't seem right that those first witnesses remain silent. But aren't many of us exactly the same? We know that Jesus is risen. We know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We know that Jesus was once dead but is now alive. We know this. Who have you told this to this week? Who do we tell that Jesus is risen? And how often do we share this very exciting news? You see, it is just as wrong for us to be silent as what it was for those women. And I reckon the point that Mark was making is that we can't remain silent. You see, the gospel didn't stop. And when he was writing this gospel, he was writing it to the early church. We don't know where, but he was writing it to the church to hear. He knew that his readers knew that the gospel didn't stop. Otherwise, how would they have heard? How would they have believed? You know, I'm reminded of when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and, and the people there were shouting out and welcoming him and the Pharisees said to, said to Jesus, look, tell your disciples to tone it down a bit, will you? Tell them to stop doing all this. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Right, that's what I'm thinking about here. The, see, the gospel message, it can't be contained. It's just got to get out. The gospel message was always going to get out. But if you remember back to last week's message, it was really only when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church that fear was replaced with power. And that is when those disciples began to be be true witnesses for Christ. And we don't need to be like those women, scared and afraid to tell people about Jesus because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus known. The Holy Spirit wants to make the gospel known. The Holy Spirit wants the whole world to know that Jesus is risen. So we have nothing to be afraid of. And this brings us to the additional ending to Mark. And this additional ending, well, it, it states the appropriate response to the resurrection. I'm going to read that for you now, reading from verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. 
she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Right? So see how even in this additional ending, on, it, it says that she's gone and told them. Verse 11, but when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. And, and this is all recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Reading from verse 12, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Right Now that is a summary of when Jesus met some disciples on the road to Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Verse 14, after he appeared to the eleven themselves, sorry, afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Right? That's probably talking about when Jesus met with the disciples and met with Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas. Right? And we can read about that in John chapter 20, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, that's reminiscent of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19, and then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That's the ascension, which we can read about in Luke chapter 24. And they went out, sorry, verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And that can be found right throughout the whole of the book of Acts. As we hear about how Jesus, you know, we talk about the, the book of Acts, as some people call it the Acts of the, the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles at all. It's the Acts of Jesus Christ. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles and working through the, the first, those early Christians. There's nothing new here. There's nothing inflammatory. There's nothing heretical. Uh, this additional ending to Mark is simply a summary of everything that we've learned elsewhere in the New Testament about the resurrection. So, what does this summary tell us about the resurrection? Well, firstly, there were many witnesses to the resurrection. Many witnesses. It wasn't just a few women. In fact, in, in that first part up to verse 8, we don't even catch a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus. We do catch a glimpse of the empty tomb. But we find now that there were many witnesses to the resurrection. No court in the land could, could ever discount so much eyewitness testimony. Secondly, in the long run, the witnesses didn't remain silent. How could they? They might have been for a little while while they were unsure of themselves, 
But it would be wrong to remain silent. In fact, Jesus commanded his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Not much place for silence there. Thirdly, many doubted. Even Jesus' own disciples doubted. And they each had to have their own experience of the risen Christ. And that's the way it is today. Many doubt. And until the Holy Spirit does his work in the heart of an unbeliever, their heart will continue to be hard. And they will continue to disbelieve the resurrection of our Saviour. Now, if you're anything like me, you've got some special close friends or some special close family and you just want to make them believe. Does anyone have somebody in their life they want to make them believe? Yeah, I wish I could make this person believe. Why won't you believe? Well, they need to have their own encounter with God. It's only when God goes to work in a person's heart that they will start to believe. Fourthly, belief, faith in Jesus is really important. It's critical. It's the only way to life. We live in a world and in a society where so many people are looking for so many different answers. But there is only one way to life. Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, the whole of the Gospel of Mark has been forcing us to make a decision about who Jesus is. And the conclusion that we've come to is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And even today, we're being forced to make a decision. Who is Jesus. Is Jesus just a nice man? Or is he much more than that? Is he our Lord and our God? Only those who believe in Jesus and are baptised into his name will be saved. Why is it important that we be baptised? Baptism. It's a sign of us being born again. It's like us saying, my old life, which cut Jesus out, I'm going to bury that old person. I'm going to put that old person to death. And then I'm going to be raised anew with Christ, a, a completely new person. That's what baptism is about. It's about a commitment and it's about repentance. I want to change. I don't want to be that old person anymore. I just want to give my whole life to Jesus. That's why baptism is important. That is what baptism is about. And it's only those who believe in Jesus and are baptised into his name who will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. Now that's talking about judgment. 
Um, people think you're very rude if you talk about judgment today. Nobody likes to think that they'll be judged. And it's like, like they just stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that I'm going to be judged. But it's very plain here that anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus will be judged. They'll be condemned. Fifthly, this Jesus who was crucified and rose again has been exalted. He sits at the right hand of our Heavenly Father in glory. But the sixth thing we learn is that even though Jesus has ascended to the glory of the heavens, he's also present with us. And the evidence of Jesus' presence with us is the gospel being preached out into the world and the miracles that the Holy Spirit continues to do among his witnesses. And this is one of the greatest encouragements that we can have. The message of the resurrection is that as we go out and preach the gospel, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is right there working with us. And that's why the gospel continues to be powerful. That's why the gospel continues to be potent and life-changing. Some 2,000 years later, the gospel is continuing to change lives today. Because Jesus isn't dead. It's because Jesus is alive. And the preaching of the gospel, it's not just some kind of human endeavour. It's the work of Jesus Christ himself. And for everyone who's hearing this message today, the gospel can be life-changing for you today. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. And that may be somebody here. That may be somebody who's listening to it on the video or the audio who isn't yet, who hasn't yet begun to believe who isn't yet baptised this is the work of Jesus I'm going to be really frank and say you cannot depend on me right if the message that I am giving you today is merely a human work. If they're just human words, then the best advice I can give you is discard it immediately. It has no value to you. Human words have no value to you when it comes to eternal life. It's pointless. But if the message that I give you today is that Christ himself can work in your life if you let him, and if you invite Christ into your life, if you give your life over to Christ. It's not a human work. It's the work that God can do in us. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. That is the proper response to the resurrection. If some other person had not have collated this in with the Gospel of Mark, I would have had to have preached it anyway. 
because that is the only appropriate response to the resurrection. Believe and be baptised. And you can do that this very day. It's the most important thing that any of us can ever do. Now, I haven't asked this of Robin, but she's sitting here with a broken leg. I only brought her home two days ago with a broken leg. But I reckon the most joyous thing that she could do is to hobble on her crutches down the riverbank to see somebody be baptised. Because they've suddenly realised that I need Jesus. And I do believe. I do want to be baptised. You can do that this very day. It's the most important thing that any of us can ever do. And for those who are saved, it's to take this message out into the world and to be witnesses for Jesus. And as we do so, Jesus goes with us. We're not alone when we tell people about Jesus. We're not alone when we're preaching the gospel. We're not alone when we're sharing our faith with our friends or even with people we don't know, because Jesus is right there with us. He goes with us. And that is where we're going to end our series on the Gospel of Mark. Next week, we might, I might just spend a bit of time talking about some of those experiences of, of the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church that are... That are um, mentioned there in those closing words but I think we're done with the gospel of Mark let's pray Heavenly Father we want to thank you for the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead Lord we want to thank you for this gospel of Mark that was written that that revealed to us who Jesus is and and that taught us that Jesus is raised from the dead. He's not here anymore. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the ending there that, that, that tells us that, about how you met with those who didn't even believe and you made them believe. Lord, there were so many witnesses to his resurrection. And Lord, I want to thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts, for the work that you've done in my heart, Lord, that that you have enabled us to believe. You have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we want to thank you for the promise that as we go out into the world, that you go with us. And Lord, we pray that, that your gospel would be strong in this place. And Lord, we pray, I pray for every single person here that as they go out into the community and, and as they go out into their own country, Lord, that you would make them bold witnesses for you. Never afraid. For you are with us, Lord. And Lord, we pray that it would be a powerful word that touches hearts and lives and that your Holy Spirit would continue to, to draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen.